Um, our scripture reading as we continue through the book of John can be found on the back of your bulletin or on the screen. This is John 1, 29 through 42. The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of the Lord. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Carlos Rodriguez. I'm the pastor of Redeemer, and my name, Carlos, uh, I was uh, looking up uh, the meaning of my name, and my name, Carlos, is derived from Charles, which comes from the German Karl, which means free man. And so my name is Carlos, and I'm a free man, okay? I actually was looking into the meaning of different names, and this is some, uh, you know, we all have these names, but where do they come from? They all came from somewhere. So Mary, for instance, is a New Testament form of the name Miriam, uh, which means drop of the sea. So if you are Mary, you are literally as small as a drop of the sea. John uh, is from the Hebrew name Johannan, which means God is gracious. Robert comes from the Germanic uh, name, which uh, combines bright and famous. So if you are Robert, you are both bright and famous. Congratulations. Uh, Michael means who is like God, and I like this one the most, Barbara, which is Greek for foreign woman. So if your name is Barbara, you are simply, from now on, known as foreign woman. This passage that we're going to look at is about names. There are names that are used, specifically this main name called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. It's very interesting that this is the first thing that Jesus is called as he begins his public ministry. John could have said, Behold the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Behold the Alpha and Omega, or the Lion of Judah. But instead he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does it mean that we are to know Him first and foremost as the Lamb of God? But there's another name used in this passage, and that is uh, Cephas. We see that Simon is renamed to Cephas or Peter. 
Jesus takes this person and gives him a new name. What is the significance of that for us today? Names bring meaning. And we cannot know Jesus unless we know him as the Lamb. But if you do know him, he wants to give you a new name, a true name, a name that describes who you are. These disciples, they heard the name Lamb of God and they followed Jesus. So who is it that you are following? For Jesus can only be known if he is known as the Lamb. Well, we're going to look at three specific points in the sermon. Number one, we're going to look at this, uh, what we call John's identification. John the Baptist's identification as the Lamb of God. Why did he call him that? Number two, we're going to look at the disciples' response. How they responded when they heard this term. And then finally, we're going to look at Jesus' response to the disciples. So let's begin by looking at John's identification of Jesus. In verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, there must have been a bit of puzzlement on people's faces because the Lamb of God was not a term that was used in a messianic sense. Meaning, when he uttered this phrase, it wasn't people thought, oh, it's the Lion of Judah or it's the Root of Jesse. They'd never heard this phrase before, Lamb of God. Where did John get this? Well, it's very clear, first and foremost, that he got it through the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that told him to call Jesus the Lamb of God. But it's very clear in the Old Testament, as you look at the Old Testament, that the Lamb of God is prefigured and, and figured in many important stories. For instance, in the Passover, if you'll remember, in Exodus 12, Moses calls all the elders of Israel and says to them, go and select lambs for yourself and kill the Passover lamb and take the blood and put it on the door. And as the avenging angel comes through Egypt, he will pass over your door. It's the blood of lamb, uh, blood of the lamb that saved the Jewish people. Also, we see the lamb shown in Genesis 22 too, in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Remember how God says to Abraham, take your son, your one and only son Isaac, and take him to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And Abraham, who was crushed because he loved his son, obeyed the Lord nevertheless and took his son. And as Isaac was walking with Abraham carrying the wood, knowing that there was an offering to be placed, he said to his father, here is the wood and we're going to this place, but where is the lamb? God will provide the lamb, my son. And as he reached out and grabbed his knife to kill his son, there, trapped in the thicket, was a ram. And the lamb was sacrificed instead, and the child was saved. One of the most prominent passages about the Messiah is Isaiah 53, where it says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There standing before the people was the Lamb of God, the person who was the Lamb of God, and yet the people didn't see it. Why? Well, it could be because they thought, I have no sin that needs to be expunged. We always tend to look at other people's issues, don't we? And their problems and their sins that they have committed. But rarely do we look in the mirror and look at ourselves and acknowledge the fact that I too am a sinner that needs forgiveness. Perhaps it's because if they saw the Son of God, they wouldn't expect that the Son of God would be one who would come to take away sin, especially our sin. But this is precisely the reason why Jesus came. This is why He's called the Lamb of God. Because He came to stand in our stead, to stand in our steps, to take the sin that we should have taken. Now how was it that John knew that Jesus was the one? It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. John says in verse 31, I myself did not know Him, but for this purpose I came baptizing, that He might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. See, John the Baptist has baptized Jesus, and he's seen the Spirit come down and remain on Jesus. And there's great significance that the Spirit has come to remain on Jesus. Because the Spirit is the life giver. Right? Remember the beginning of the Bible. That in the beginning there was God and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters ready to create and God spoke and the Spirit worked and life sprung into being. The Spirit is the giver of life. But the Spirit is also the power of God. We see in the Old Testament these great figures of the Bible when the Spirit would come upon them. David and Saul and Samson. Remember Samson, when the Spirit of God came upon Samson and he took a lion and he ripped it apart like it was a, a small goat. The Spirit of God is power. The Spirit of God is the revelation of God. It brings the revelation of God. All of those prophets that would speak from the Lord, it was by the Spirit that came and revealed to them what to say. And finally, the Spirit of God brings the presence of God. Remember in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Chronicles 7:1, when Solomon dedicates the temple, and as he prays, the Spirit of God descends upon the temple, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and none can enter because the presence of God is there and is present. All of these things are occurring as Jesus is being baptized. And the Holy Spirit is descending upon him. That prophecy in the book of Joel that the coming of the Messiah would be accompanied by the Holy Spirit is being fulfilled. In Acts 2.17, And in the last day it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. But you see, the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus and it remained on him. 
Notice that twice it uses these words, that it remains on him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come, and then it would depart from the various people after either they had sinned or the Spirit had done its work. But this Spirit comes to remain on Jesus Christ. Indeed, the early church preached in Acts 38, 1038, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Why did the Spirit come and remain on Jesus as the Lamb of God? Because Jesus was the one who was to be the giver of the Holy Spirit. He was to baptize people with the Holy Spirit, to bring life where there is death, to bring holiness where there's guiltiness. Jesus on John 37, 37, on the last day of one of the Jewish feasts, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. All of this is to say that Jesus is the giver of life. John finishes by saying in verse 34, I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. John's work is complete. What I'm trying to tell you is that if we want to know Jesus, if we want to experience the life that comes through forgiveness from the Lamb of God, we must know him as the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Each one of us has a deep need of forgiveness. We need forgiveness from others, but ultimately we need forgiveness from God. He is the only one who can set us free. I don't know if you know the name Gary Ridgway or not. It's a name that will live in infamy because Gary Ridgway was an American serial killer. In fact, the most prolific American serial killer, I can't say that, known as the Green River Murderer. He snuffed out the lives of at least 48 women in the state of Washington. Most of the women he killed were prostitutes or young runaways. And in 2003, he was sentenced to life in prison. How he did not get the death penalty, I do not know. After pleading guilty. And as relative after relative addressed Ridgeway in court, he appeared emotionless. He's an animal, one of the parents said in, a court, in the court at the sentencing hearing. I wish for him to have a long-suffering, cruel death. He's going to go to hell. That's where he belongs, said another parent. One family member after another wished a painful death on Ridgeway and assured the killer that an eternity in hell awaited him. After the group of relatives uttered their wishes upon him, one Christian father, Robert Rule, got his turn. The loss of his daughter, Linda Jane, had produced incalculable grief. But Rule told the hearing and Mr. Ridgeway, there are people here who hate you. I am not one of them, Rule said. You made it difficult to live up to what I believe and what God says to do, and that is to forgive. You are forgiven. While listening to that speech, Gary Ridgway, the hardened and angry killer, broke down and wept. Forgiveness, it appeared, was not something he was prepared for. Calling him a monster, that was what he was anticipating. But forgiveness, probably not in a million years.
See, we can't know Jesus unless we know him as the Lamb. So how do you know him? A great teacher? Sure. A great political leader? A great social reformer? Or do I recognize that in my life I have sin that needs to be taken away? Have I come face to face with myself as a sinner, one who does not obey God, one who needs forgiveness? For Jesus has the power to take away your sin and mine, to pronounce from the very lips of God, I don't hate you. I forgive you. You are a free man. So call upon Jesus as the Lamb of God. For first and foremost, that is who He is to us. For Jesus can only be known if He is known as the Lamb. Well, let's look at the disciples' response to hearing this from John the Baptist. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. See, they heard what John was saying. They were disciples of John, and they followed Jesus. And as they're following him, Jesus turns around and says, What are you seeking? And they say to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, what is it that they're asking him? They're asking much more than, hey, where's the house? What's your address? They call him teacher or rabbi. See, we have a very Western notion of education. My sons, two of my sons go to college, so one goes to VCU, and that's in Richmond. So if you want to go get an education, you have to go to VCU. You have to go to Richmond. But if you wanted to be educated, if you wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, it was more important, not that it was an institution at a particular location, but where the rabbi himself was. Because the rabbi was the institution. And so when they're saying, where are you staying, rabbi? What they're saying is, we want to be where you are. We want to follow you. We want to learn from you. We want to be your disciples. And how does Jesus respond to this request? Come, and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. That's actually 4 p.m. Now why would he ask them to come and stay with them when the end of the day, sunrise, was 6 p.m., if he were, they were only going to stay for two hours? No, I imagine they stayed up talking late into the night about the kingdom of God. Because these disciples responded. They left one master and they moved to another. Why did they leave John the Baptist to go to Jesus? It was because they believed what John the Baptist said. Look, the Lamb of God. They wanted to be free from the penalty and the power of sin. I mean, who has the power to take all I have done wrong and free me from the burden of it? Imagine that. Every careless word you've ever spoken, everybody that you've hurt, 
everything you've done that you can't take back. They heard that this was the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. Because every sin is ultimately against God. It's only God who can proclaim and pronounce forgiveness on a person. And what we need is forgiveness. They wanted to be free from the power and penalty of sin. But they also wanted life. They're not that different from us, you know. The Holy Spirit has come and remained on Jesus. They, like us, are looking for life that lasts. And the world says if you have enough possessions, if you accomplish enough, if you get a good enough reputation, then you will have life. But the longer you live on this planet, you realize that that is one big fat lie. That all of those things will fade. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well? We're going to be preaching on that very soon. This woman who comes, who's had five husbands, and the husband she has now is not her husband. Looking for life in all the wrong places. Jesus says to her, If anyone drinks the water that I give them, they will never thirst. Indeed, this water will become in them a spring, welling up, to eternal life. They wanted forgiveness. They wanted life. And they wanted a relationship with the Son of God. And this was their chance. If the Son of God walked by you today, what would you do? Would you follow Him? Rabbi, I want to be your disciple. This was their chance to follow and know the one who was they were made in the image of. And Jesus responded to them. He didn't reject them. Come and see, he said. The disciples did one other thing. They followed Jesus, but they also invited others to come and see as well. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Why did Andrew do that? He couldn't keep his excitement to himself. See, Christians are bringers and sharers, and our message is the same one as Andrew had. We have found the Christ. We speak into a thirsty world. A world that's looking for life. And yet no matter what stone they turn over, they cannot find it. And so they followed. The disciples responded. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if you came upon one of those genie lamps? Right? You know the story where you come upon one of those and you dust it off, it's a genie, and the genie comes out, and he's usually big and blue and sounds like Robin Williams. But in this case, this genie lamp only gives you one wish. You can have anything you want. So what is it that you really want? Think about that. If you could have anything 
You could have it. Is it stuff? There are things that you want in life? It would be fantastic for a while, but they would fade. Is it fame? In the end, we know famous people are just as miserable as other people, right? Now, what you want is life. And Jesus is life itself. In him was life, says the gospel, and this life was the light of all men. In Jesus is life and forgiveness. We are all following somebody. So don't settle. Jesus is alive. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But you're going to have to leave whatever it is that you're holding on to to take hold of Jesus Christ. He doesn't share His Lordship with anyone. He doesn't have to. Jesus can only be known if He is known as the Lamb. This brings me to my final point. Jesus' response. Well, Jesus welcomes these men. And we see that Andrew brings Peter, uh, uh, brings uh, Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock, by the way. He gives him the name rock. Imagine giving someone a new name. Think I'll try that. You are Ken, you shall be called Philip. Parents have the power to name their children, right? Because they brought them into the world. But God has the ultimate naming rights. He has the power to name and he has the power to rename because he is the one that brought us all into the world. So why does he give Simon a new name and calls him Rock because he knows him. Jesus knows Peter to the core of his soul. He sees him. He sees through him in a way that only a creator can see him. And he knows what Peter will become. This braggadocious, brash, person who denies Jesus three times will become a rock in the church, one of the pillars of the Christian church, who loves Jesus and is faithful to him so much that when he is ultimately to become martyred, he requests that he will be crucified upside down because he's not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord Jesus Christ. Peter has been running from God all of his life. And Jesus sees him and renames him. See, we want to be renamed by God. We want to know who we really are. And the Bible tells us that each one of us will receive a new name. Revelation 2.17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, only known only to him who receives it. Are you looking to be seen and known? 
Are you looking to someone who knows all about you and loves you anyways? Are you looking for someone to give you a new name, a new future, a new destiny? Come to Jesus, the one who takes away your sins, the one who starts a new relationship with you, the one who can give you a new name and a new destiny. Because Jesus can only be known if he's known as the Lamb. By the grace of God, may you know him that way and experience the freedom and forgiveness of having your sins washed away and remaining in the presence of a loving Savior. Let's pray. Oh God, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, what a beautiful picture of the love that you have for us, that you came as lamb to take away our sins, to make us fresh and clean, forgiven, and to give us a new name, a new destiny, as we walk in relationship with you. God, we pray that we would know you as lamb and that we would cling to you as Savior and Lord and teacher. And we would experience the freedom and forgiveness that comes with being your people. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we enter into our time of worship through offering. Uh, through uh, the age of COVID, we, we are not passing a plate, an offering plate rather. We have left it uh, out in the foyer. If you wish to give an offering to this church, you may do so uh, on the way out after the service. If you're new to Redeemer, don't feel compelled in any way to give. We're just glad that you're here. We're glad you're here with us today. Let me go ahead and pray for the offering. God, we pray that you would use this offering to build up and strengthen your church, that the gospel might be uh, preached, that there might be more mercy and more justice in this world, and that your body might be built up. We pray all of these things in Christ's name.